Blog Talk Radio. Sylvia, and we are in Los Angeles, California. I'm so excited to be here today. You're listening to sylviaglobal.com radio, and our special guest is an incredible woman. Um, she balances, um, like many of us do, the role of being a wife, a mother, and she's an advisor for the Rand Corporation, and she's working on a project of global significance. Her name is Nicole Bresky. And, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Quite my pleasure. You are the co-founder of the First Ladies Initiative, which is dedicated to working with First Ladies worldwide to further the health, education, and development programs that support those with the most need in their country. So we're talking about First Ladies of Nations, correct? Absolutely, the first ladies, the wives, the presidents. Yeah, tell us how you, um, what, what prompted you to, you know, start the first ladies initiative and to create it. Uh, well, in in 2009, I was involved in a, a health summit in Los Angeles, and 13 first ladies were invited to attend. And I was a senior advisor for that health summit, and uh, you know, I I had the same ideas of what a first lady was that everybody else does before I uh, was involved with the summit. And I really thought first ladies, particularly in developing countries, were the wives of dictators. They shopped on Rodeo Drive. They, you know, they jetted around the world. And as I came to know these first ladies and work on this health summit, I, I came to see that they were struggling just like any other wife or mother was. But instead of a few children, they had millions of children. And I, I really thought, you know, they, they're they're working really hard to be a, a, you know, a very good first lady, and I wanted to do as much as I could to help them. So, how did you connect with them in terms of starting this initiative and being able to support their work? Uh, well, you know, it came about organically from the health summit in 2009. Uh, I got to know several of the first ladies relatively well and, and kept in touch with them and their chiefs of staff. And as I got to know them and the, the challenges they, they faced I, you know, with a group of um, other people from RAND and, and other organizations, we thought, you know, we really think there's something here, um, and we, we'd like to pursue it and see how it, see how it goes. So for the last few years, it, this has really been an organic group of people working together, um, and RAND Corporation also helped. Um, they started the First Ladies African um, Fellowship program, and I've been advising on that for the last few years. What is the First Ladies Fellowship program? The fellowship program is working with First Ladies offices, um, so the technical advisors, the chiefs of staff, and we work with them to build the capacity of their office so that they can support the First Lady in the work that she's trying to do for her country. And again, I should say that First Ladies, some First Ladies, when their husband becomes president, some of them decide, you know, this isn't for me. I just want to be a mom. I don't I don't have the capacity to do so much. Or some first ladies say, I'm just going to um, travel with my husband. Uh, but the first ladies with whom we work 
have our professional women, they're former midwives, nurses, teachers, they have a, an eclectic background. And they, while their husband is in office, they've really made a proactive decision to do the best work they can do while, um, while their husband is president. They don't get any training for being a first lady. You're spot on. That is definitely true. They don't. I mean, and and really when we talk to the the first ladies and um, they say they kind of have this, they're in shock at first because, uh, you know, there's so many, um, so much hope, so much expectation on them to perform, but nobody tells you how to be a first lady. You know, it's kind of interesting. Sylvia Global began as a result of a first lady's um, project. And really, and we have a series called The First Ladies. And so the role of the First Ladies is one of influence. And it can be a First Lady within our own immediate community. But in this case, again, we're talking about the First Ladies who are First Ladies of Nations, the wives of presidents. And they may have their own children, but they are the mother to many millions more once they take on that role. You have a background in public health and experience in global health. How does that tie into the work that the First Ladies are doing? Well, um, in a lot of the developing countries, particularly in Africa, uh, maternal and child health and HIV, AIDS, and you know, uh, malaria, TB, there are a lot of – it's a, um, the health agenda is usually on the top of uh, most of these countries' agenda, you know, having – Healthy citizens is is the cornerstone really for economic and uh, well-being. So, uh, the, my public health background really dovetailed nicely in, in, into the work that we're doing. And I'm a you know, maternal child health is something that I particularly care deeply about. And and for the first ladies, that's usually on their their agenda. And I you know I should back up you know when. A, a lot of times the first lady is considered the mother of the country and, and is the person to whom people go as the last resort. This is the place they go when all other hope has failed. And they knock on the first lady's door, and you know I almost mean this literally, and they say, I don't know what to do now. Can you please help me? Um, so she gets a lot of that. Um, so you can imagine the... Um, you know how how that must feel to have so many people with so much need, uh, and that's one of the reasons why we we want to keep keep doing this work that we're doing because we do feel as if she is almost a last resort, um, particularly for people who may um, you know who have who may be dying. You know, one of your favorite quotes is from the First Lady of Nambia, and it says, "Our most noble duty is to save the lives of mothers." You know, when there is such tremendous need in a, on a continent and in countries like that of Africa, uh, the thought of the last place of resort being to go knock on the door of the First Lady is very different for us and how we would approach saving lives of mothers here in the United States. We can't even get to the front door of the White House, right. you know, to knock on it. So does that mean that they're actually accessible and Hands and directly involved in the work that you're doing. They, the first ladies with whom we work, they're all very, very, very much involved in in the communities in their countries um, and are very accessible. Uh, they do a lot of traveling the country. They they um, try and form partnerships to help with the, the greatest need in their country, and we being one of their partners. 
Um, so yeah, they are they are accessible and um, they're brilliant women. I you know I, as a group they're just stunning, and I really admire them for for the work that they're for the work that they're doing. You know, when we look at your website, you're doing work in, it looks like almost 25 countries. Is that accurate? Yeah. That's right. And there are resources that you make available to the First Ladies that are only for them. Can you share some of the highlights of what those resources might be? Sure. Most of those resources are for their technical advisors and their chiefs of staff. Um so, um, you know, for instance, how to manage a project, how to, you know, there, there's a lot of education that goes on when you're um, in the government, and we want to provide those resources for the technical advisors and chiefs of staff, how to, how to set up an agenda, how to form partnerships, how to monitor and evaluate programs, how to do a needs assessment. Um, those are, those are um, the cornerstone for any, any um you know, anyone that's doing work in the U.S., in a developing country, or a developed country. So we give them access to those types of resources. Talk about the program selection and qualifications for the First Lady Initiatives. You know that they're community programs. How does that work? Right. Um, we, I mean, we do work with most of the First Ladies and the, their offices that we've listed. But what we're really trying to do is, in, in this particular program that I'm really excited about, is the kind of the marriage between the community and the first lady. So um, our idea is that as, as a first, you know, uh, projects and programs could be much more sustainable if you have high-level support from the ministries and, and the first lady in the office of the president, and they're coming from the community. So and the community puts in money. They, they, they find the people who will work on the program. It becomes very self-sustaining for the community. So if you marry this very high level of work that the First Ladies are doing and the ministries are doing and the community, I think you have a really compelling program. And on top of that, you know, you're, we are saying to these countries, please tell us what your need is instead of us coming to them and saying, we focus on TB or we'll give you money for water or whatever. We're saying to them, we want to find the partners and the resources to you where you have the greatest need. So you actually help make those connections for them with um, international partners that have resources that support those local community projects? Yes. If, um, particularly if, you know, we can't be everything to all, you know, all countries, all first ladies, all communities, but there are there are programs that are out there and NGOs that are in, in um, programs on the ground that exist, and we help find the right partners and resources for for that community. So you're the connector, the the um, the both the ambassador and the support that they need to get accomplished um, on the ground, but they can't do it by themselves. Right, and you know, again, first ladies have access to you know they could pick up the phone and call you know anyone in the world almost, but you know they you know, they don't have um, most first lady offices don't have their own budget, so they're always scrambling trying to find resources and seconding people from other offices, either from the Office of the President or the Ministry of Health. So, you know, the, there, it's a myth that these First Ladies, or at least the First Ladies with whom we work, are extremely well-funded, and uh, they're not. Um, they, they struggle just as much as any other um, nonprofit, basically. Um, what's, the, what's the background of most of the First Ladies that you've worked with? Uh, most of the First Ladies uh, have, you know, they're, they're an, another generation, um, 
So they were coming from, they were midwives or teachers or nurses. Uh, the first lady of Namibia was a midwife. The first lady of Sierra Leone, she was an organic chemist and a, and a nurse. Kenya was a teacher. Um, so it's a very, uh, and now the first lady of Zambia, a new first lady, she is a, a OBGYN. So uh, are the educational levels of the first ladies with each generation also increasing? Yes, definitely. So that brings additional resources and skills to right. their, the work that they're doing. You know, I know that the First Ladies Initiative had, some, you know, an intern work with Sierra Leone's uh, First Lady, Mrs. Coroma, mm -hmm. and on a health initiative. Can you talk about that? Sure. The First Lady of Sierra Leone, um, again, was a, a nurse and feels very strongly about maternal and child health. And she has a foundation called WISH that um, focuses on this this need. And just like the First Lady of Namibia, she wants to build birthing shelters for maternal waiting homes in um, in Sierra Leone. And for for uh, just so I can explain what a birthing shelter or a maternal waiting home is, that's basically you know most of these women, uh, particularly if they live in the rural areas have miles and miles to go to if they want to deliver to a hospital. So these these birthing shelters are essentially a dorm next to a hospital. So a woman who's nine months pregnant can go a couple of weeks before she's due and, and have a place, a safe place and clean place to sleep so that she can just walk across the street to the hospital. Um, so many maternal deaths happen en route to the hospital. You know, you don't realize you need to get there. Or you're walking, you can't get there soon enough, and the baby and the mother die. So these birthing shelters are really a godsend. Um, UNICEF endorses them. The first ladies want to have them for pregnant women. Um, and when I visited Namibia last year, I saw pregnant women, you know, sleeping outside under trees. A month before they were due, for a month before they were due, they're sleeping outside with no, with, you know, the rain, the elements, you know, robbery. It's just, it's, it's a tragic situation. So the birthing, the interns that you've sent or internship opportunities allows, is another way for people to support the work of the First Ladies Initiative? Right. The interns, again, this, this gives the interns come with specific skills, whether it's um, uh, public health or technology. You know, a lot of times you might need help with um, you know, technological issues in your office. So the first lady um, says, uh, these are the skills that I'd like to have in my office for the summer or for a particular period of time. And we find students who can, uh, with those skills, to work in the first lady's office for that period of time. Who are your other partners? So there are internship opportunities. You partner with um, NGOs and others um, internationally to get this work done, but you have other partners, correct? We do, um, and we're a, a brand new 501c3. We just um, we just got our tax, tax exemption letter in April, so we're very very excited about that. Um, in terms of partnerships, we've been working with you know, Rand and other or the other organizations that have been doing work with First Ladies, um, and Duke at Duke Global Health Institute, Duke University, um, where I went to college, is one of our partners. They sponsor um, interns to go to First Lady offices. We're working with Media Impact to talk. To, now they're an NGO based in New York, and they do um, media messaging 
Um, so we have a wide variety of partners that that do and have different skill sets based on what the First Lady's offices need. So when an organization or a partner like RAND is involved, you know, they help improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. How does that apply to, you know, the First Lady's initiatives work? That's a great question. Um, so RAND Corporation, um, the, they're focused on the capacity building of a First Lady's office. So um, and capacity building is just kind of strengthening the office so that the First Lady has resources um, and a staff to to um you know to follow through on her agenda. So for example, um one of the ways that uh Rand and the, the fellowship advise first lady and first ladies in their offices is to help them and, and again we work um Rand Corporation um has been working with a woman named Anita McBride. She was a former chief of staff from Laura Bush. So we have people on um that we've been working with who understand really fundamentally what does it take to run a first lady's office. So one of the ways in which we advise is to talk to new first ladies and um, to say, really think about what you're passionate about as a first lady and, and focus on those issues because you can't be all things to all people. So really think about what's important to you. So, for example, Mrs. Bush was interested in uh, she was, uh, literacy and military families, and you kind of think about when you think about Laura Bush's legacy, those are the things you think about. Um, and so Michelle Obama is focused on obesity and gardening, and also military families. But you, you think of a first lady, you think of her legacy, and that's what we want to help these first ladies, these new first ladies, do is think about your agenda, think about your legacy. Well. Nicole, tell us how you balance work of such global magnitude and your role at RAND with being a wife and a mother and a friend and a daughter and all the other hats that female, you know, that that contemporary women um, have to be today. Uh, well, I, when we were talking about that before, I, before I kind of I was joking that I muddled through like everybody else, and I do think that's true. I do always prioritize um, my family first, and I, and I really firmly believe that if you have a, a happy, healthy home life, you, know, you have the capacity to focus on other people, um, but if that core isn't solid, then you don't have that capacity. So that they're always my priority. Um you know, I I pick up my drop off my kids at school and I pick them up and I take them to you know their activities and fix them dinner and help them with homework and and then everything else falls into place. Um, but um, it is fun. I mean, honestly, I would have it no other way. I, I I'm really happy and uh, my kids see that I'm happy and I always tell people that if the happy wife, happy life, happy mother, happy home, you know, everything kind of falls from from the mom. What is it in your background that influenced this direction in your life? Yeah, when when we talked before and you were kind of telling me some of the questions that I should think about and you were thinking and I was thinking about some of the inspirations in my life, you know, it's yeah. hard to say. I mean, I, I had a single mom um, who raised me and, you know, I saw how difficult that was and she's a very strong woman and I, I really believe that women are are the the, the um, cornerstone of of most of the, of society, 
um, and they're extraordinarily strong and they'll do whatever it takes to help their um, help the family, help their children. And I and I saw that growing up. Um, and I think you know when I see the pregnant women in Namibia and I talk to the first ladies, I see this again. I mean, these women are walking. The pregnant women are walking miles so they can deliver to a hospital. Because if the mom dies in childbirth, you know, if she has other kids, the chance of them dying is significantly higher. I mean, you've got to keep the mother safe. Um, she's got to survive for the sake of that family. What prompted you to go into public health? Uh, well, I, you know, my my bachelor's, I went to Duke undergrad, um, and uh, that degree was in international health. I've always been mindful of the fact that I think I always wanted to be a doctor, but uh, you know, didn't wasn't really too keen on the side of blood or anything like that. So what I did was I just kept one foot in the door of health. I you know I um, volunteered emergency rooms in my in my 20s. I was an athletic trainer in college, um, and at, at one point um, I was getting my paramedic license and. The TA for the um, for the class I was for the course was getting her degree in public health, and I said, "Well, what's that? Can you tell me more about that?" And then one thing led to another, um, and then I got my degree in public health and been working in disaster preparedness, emergency relief, uh, bioterrorism. I've been all over the place, um, and then I found this. So it's really I always tell people when they're thinking of their career, don't think go from A to B and know exactly where you want to go. Just be um, just enjoy the journey and keep people want be proactive in one step in what you like and then everything else will follow. You also spent some time working for the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine at the University of London and at UCLA School of Public Health. Um, what were your experiences, you know, in those two environments? Uh, yeah, I really enjoy working for UCLA and the London School. Um, you know, it's mostly. Uh, research oriented which i you know which I love and which comes in comes into play um when you're doing projects you you have a needs assessment implementation and monitoring and evaluation so those skills have been been very helpful for the London school. I really thought i was i initially started with a p getting my ph d because I had this this idea that it to be an international public health um I needed to be taken more seriously as a woman and having a ph d would help me. Um, but then I came to realize that that actually wasn't the fact that wasn't the case, and I could start my own NGO doing what I love, and uh, I didn't need to spend a lot of money and a lot of time getting my PhD. I might one day, but that that's not necessary anymore. What um, What are your greatest sources of inspiration at this stage in your life? Uh, right now, it's 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 my kids and making sure that you know I leave the world in a better place for them. Um, and uh, I think we're all, all of us are very connected, and we're all in this together. And when I tell my friends what I do, I, you know, I, I kind of joke that we're all first ladies. We're all trying yeah. to make our family and our, and you know, our community a better place. Um, so really, that's what it's about, and, and, and taking risks and not being afraid to fail, because you, you have to, you have to fail, and you have to take the risks in order to get better. Do you see the you know, the, the quote-unquote failures in your life as actually having been stepping stones to where you are right now because you're viewed as being very successful. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't be where I was without 
without the missteps and the failures. Um, and uh, I'm, I can I can spend a whole other show talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just said something that was um, so consistent with the First Lady's discussions on Sylvia Global, and that is we all are in a position be, to be the First Lady of Influence, you know, and the First Lady of Inspiration or the First Lady to address a solution to a problem and to step forward and not being afraid, you know, that so often we can very quickly come up with excuses and explanations for why not to do it or why someone else should be doing it. But when we pause and really look around our lives and the people that have influenced and touched our lives um, at various stages, there's always been someone that we can think of that's first to come to mind. And I think that the first ladies title and the work that you're doing shows that, captures that at every level. You know, these are women who took, you know, are now mothers to millions, but they were the first mother to one child in their own home or the first mother to step up on behalf of a village or a community and then now have even more influence. So so to support and encourage um, one another to not be afraid is also a valuable part of what I'm hearing you say. Right, and I absolutely. And and I do think that there's some fear when you first become a first lady that mm-hmm. uh, you know, how am I going to do this? Um uh, and again, the first lady is one of the most influential women in her country. I mean, she has so much potential to um to change cultural and societal norms that may not be beneficial to women like um uh female genital mutilation. And, and she can speak out and say, this is not okay. Um, it's not okay to you know, hit your wife. It's not okay for, to, for uh, female genital mutilation. She can be an advocate in, for women and children in her country, and people will listen and people respect her. And whatever you know, we can do to support her in that role is really why, why we're here um, and, and, and help her help the communities, help her with the pregnant women who are sleeping under trees. I mean, that shouldn't be happening. That image, which we've posted on sylviaglobal.com, it it's really speaks volumes to to our heart, you know, about the importance of your work and the strength and the need as well of the women um, that the birthing centers are needed for. You know, those photographs that you sent, I'm looking at one right now, you know, surrounding a tree. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, like you, huge umbrellas or tents. Right, they're tents. Some of them have tents. Some of them are just sleeping on the ground. Um, some of them brought their children. There's no toilet. Uh, if it rains, they you know they all make cook fires to cook, right? So if it rains, they don't eat. Um, there are robberies. If you can even imagine someone robbing uh, a little area where pregnant women are sleeping, uh, it's just it's mind-boggling. Um, and the women are. I mean, I remember being pregnant, and I remember it is. Scary. Um, you know, you're excited, but you're worried. Is is the baby going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? How am I going to do this? And to add those natural worries that every mother feels to the worries of, the chances are high that I'm going to have a complication and I have to sleep outside. It just it's untenable. What has caused? Uh, what, is, in your opinion, what has caused this shift where it has gone from? You know, the, our societies didn't always have 
including the United States, the type of hospital and medical care is available, but yet babies have been born for generations after generations. What has taken it in these nations from a place of safe cultural practices to now high-risk cultural practices? You know, I, it's hard for me to speak to that. Um, that that is it's so deeply ingrained. Um, you know, even in our country, before hospitals, before modern medicine, women died in childbirth at a abnorm- at a very alarmingly high rate. Um, that's just take that and just move that to present day. Even with all of the the medical skills that we have, you still have that you still have that issue. And in some in in some Islamic communities. The husband can say whether or not the wife can go to the hospital. He has final say. Even if she's dying, he, she can't go until he says so. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think um, first ladies can have so much power because the first lady in Sierra Leone specifically convened these community togethers, convened these Islamic leaders and said, if your wife is pregnant and needs to go to the hospital, you must send her to the hospital. And the Islamic leaders agreed. And, and you know, you can see change slowly, but the first lady can, you know, kind of accelerate that change. Mm. Nicole Field-Bresky, thank you so much for joining us today here on sylviaglobal.com. How can our listeners support you in the work that you're doing? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This has been really, really fun for me to talk to you about this work. Uh, our website is uh, www.firstladiesinitiative.org. Um and uh, you, know, you take a look at our website, see what we're doing in Namibia, help us build this birthing shelter. You can donate directly online, and the support that you give helps women on the ground, pregnant women, their babies, and helps the First Ladies continue the work that they do so well. Thank you so much. This is your host, Gail Sylvia. Our special guest today has been Nicole Field Bresky. She is the founder of the First Ladies Initiative, and you can also find more information about Nicole on sylviaglobal.com. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook, and join us again um, later here on Sylvia Global Radio. Thanks, Nicole. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.